One woman's search for healing in truth and spirituality took her to the endless, never satisfying cycles of Reiki, ayahuasca, and more before discovering that there's only truth and healing in Jesus. That and a lot more on this week's Spirit Answers Podcast. Well, Amanda, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Of course. Um, so your journey uh, takes you through encounters with uh, spirit guides, uh, with uh, different spiritual entities as, as you were practicing yoga, and also uh, through like uh, encounters with ayahuasca. Uh, but before we get to that, I wanted to go ahead and read um, a, an introduction here because you sent me an awesome, uh, really beautifully written testimony. And I think that one of the quotes to st- uh, that you have here at the beginning of your testimony would be an excellent place to kind of start with your story. So um, in this quote, you say, and because I was a child of wrath for 33 years and I'm an eight month old child of God, this testimony has a lot more of what it is to live by the prince of power of the air, the flesh and the world than it does to walk with Jesus simply because I am new to this life in Christ. Sitting down to write what he has done for me is like opening the best gift I have ever received. But I would be lying if I said it was easy to revisit all the deception and waywardness of my heart. So your journey uh, towards Christ has a a lot of obstacles. And uh, really, a lot of those obstacles kind of stem from a difficult childhood. So can you kind of get us started with with what it was like in in your upbringing? So my childhood... I had two parents who did not know the Lord. They had Catholic upbringings, but neither of them had a relationship with Jesus Christ. And um, there was some like religious practices, but never a relationship with God. And um, and my parents fought a lot. Uh, when I was a very young child, it wasn't as bad. But as you know, my dad got more successful and money became a really big uh, thing in my household. And there was just so much animosity and like splitting into teams at home um, where one parent would kind of take some of us onto their side and the other parent would have the other ones. And it just felt like a a war ground um, growing up. And I think it was very scary for me. And so I think I didn't ever consider turning to God other than maybe once just praying that Um, he would take away that fear um, when my parents were fighting. But uh, another big theme growing up was um, like our physical appearance. So my mom and my older sister and I, my dad was just very, very critical of us. Um, I think he was really overly concerned with his reputation and with the way our family looked on the outside. And we really didn't measure up to his expectations. And he made that very clear from um, a young age. And I I wouldn't say I got the worst of it. I would say I watched mostly my older sister get the worst of it. But um, it definitely like shaped and formed my identity, if that even makes sense. Like I just being um, not not quite right. Like I just wasn't made right. And I always felt like somehow I was going to need to to correct that, to make myself right, you know, and 
um, without any identity in God or relationship with God, I think our parents are just the next thing that we look to for our, for, you know, who am I and what, what am I supposed to believe? You know, there are guides and, um, don't get me wrong. I love my mom and dad and I, um, know that they were doing the best that they could. I completely forgive them and everything, but it was just not a stable place. And, um, yeah, there was bullying after that. There was pornography. I'm not really sure which direction I should go with that, but, um, the, the pornography definitely like seeing that, um, the shame started at that point. Um, just like, feeling ashamed of like who I was. And I think that that really allowed a big amount of darkness to sort of begin to be the guiding forces in my choices. And, um, it was just in the home everywhere all the time. Um, and it, I was such a sensitive child that I, I said this in my testimony, but like I passed out on the soccer field, I think the day after discovering it. So I think it really like did something to me to my core that I couldn't really understand at the time. Um, and you know, that's not to say that my sister and I were completely innocent because we were, we were kind of like always looking to get into trouble a little bit. Like, I think we did have a seance in the basement at that house and, you know, we would try to talk to spirits and things like that. And, um, she always said a lot of strange and weird things happened at that house. Um, I didn't really, I guess I didn't notice in the same way that she did. But so after like discovering the pornography and going to a small Catholic school, I just got bullied a lot for the way that I looked, for my appearance, for my weight. And I felt like it was something that I absolutely couldn't hide. And I just had to like wear my shame and wear my extra weight. And I was getting it both at home and from the boys at school. So it was kind of like, um, there was no, uh, there was no voice of loving reason and telling me that, you know, I was a child of God or I was worthy or anything like that. It was all the voices coming towards me, including the voice in my own head were, um, pretty shameful and condemning. Like, you know, you, you either need to lose weight or stop existing at that point. But, um, I didn't know how to lose weight at that time. And I didn't, that really wasn't my focus. My focus was just on like trying to hide, trying to get away from that. So I would kind of hide away in my room with my journal and write stories and just um, pretend that it wasn't there because I was afraid to confront it. Like I was very fearful of the bully both in my head and in my home and at school. And then eventually I broke and just told my mom like, that these kids are like taunting me the whole way home and she took care of it. But, you know, there was no healing of that deep inner injury. It was like, just, I don't know, just waiting to grow, I guess, and be, mm -hmm. become like a bigger hurt. Right. And uh, from what I understand, so because you didn't have uh, just, you know, a real great relationship at this point, with your your parents, particularly your dad, uh, who said some uh, abusive things towards you, and also uh, even though you had a Catholic background, there wasn't much of a relationship there with with God yet. It seems like it, like for many people, it was it was a little bit more of uh, just kind of what you were expected to do, and maybe a little bit of uh, kind of just ritualistic, uh, legalistic uh, behaviors. But that really opened up the door, from what I understand 
for uh, you looking for that validation in relationships. Isn't that right? Absolutely. Yeah. I think just we're all looking to fill the void with something. And to me, that seemed like the most exciting and incredible thing to fill the void with. And, you know, I think it's also just like wanting to be loved. Like, where am I going to feel love in this world? You know, and if you don't feel it with your family or your friends or anyone around you, like, but you, I think we know something deep inside of us knows that love is available. So that was what I was trying to chase, but it was definitely like the chemistry type of love, you know, like just what you hear, hear about in songs and read about in books and watch in movies, just like these um, love affairs essentially, or like, I, I don't know, just following your feelings and catching feelings for people. And so for me, I just wanted a boyfriend to feel something and to, you know, escape the rest of life because life was so painful. But I thought like if I could have this beautiful thing that would make me feel better about myself, um, maybe that would would help like fix my my heart that was broken at the time, you know, obviously, obviously men and relationships and, you know, being in fifth grade, I think that was when I had my first one like that can't solve the problem of your broken heart, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I understand that you did uh, go through some relationships there and there, and it sounds like there was some, some uh, good points there, but a lot of highs and lows. And uh, that kind of led to a period of your life where there was maybe a little bit more rebellion uh, than, than what you were doing before. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and read another excerpt from your testimony that kind of sets up uh, the next part of your story. You say, I got, I got caught shoplifting at 15 and tried slicing my skin open with a safety pin to make what I was feeling inside show on the outside. The next year, I cheated on a boyfriend I had who was loving, respectful, and thoughtful to me. I was drunk on spring break and hooked up with a random boy I barely knew and didn't even like. It was the beginning of a horrible pattern. My friends and family were angry and disgusted with my behavior, but honestly, that felt right to me for some reason. There was this deep brokenness and hurt within me that I could only seem to express by hurting someone else or hurting myself. So with that being said, can you kind of uh, describe for us what what was going on at this point in your life and and uh, just how how was it then dealing with this brokenness and, and these relationships and, and uh, where did you go from here? Yeah. So starting with the part where I was dragging the safety pin on my wrist, I remember it was after I got caught shoplifting, my mom was so disappointed in me and kind of like sent me to my room and I was just up there and I just couldn't, couldn't handle what was going on on the inside because um, like I just wanted someone to see how much pain I was in, but I didn't understand it either, you know, being that young. And the first time I ever shoplifted was I think several months or maybe a year before that it was when I was on a cruise with my best friend and we had just discovered alcohol. And, um, it was like just a couple of days into the cruise, we were stealing things after starting to drink heavily on that cruise. And I just think like, you know, for me, alcohol was definitely like a point of opening myself to basically complete moral depravity. Whereas before that, I think I was like trying to be a good girl for the most part, like, 
well, what do people expect of me? How can I be good? How can I follow the rules and meet everyone's expectations and then enter in alcohol? And I was like, that gave me the freedom to not care what anyone thought and to feel like liberated from <clears throat> other people's opinions. So, but then uh, shoplifting became like a compulsion where I, me and this friend would just go and steal stuff. And it was like such an adrenaline rush, but also like hugely fear inducing for me because I have a conscience and I, I didn't want to get caught, but at the same time, I'm really relieved that I did at the time that I did because it completely like put a stop to that. Like that was, you know, that's one of the things that I think um, when you're running from authority and then authority actually saves you in a way from getting in more trouble. So at that point, like I'm grateful, I'm especially grateful now, but um yeah, I just think that I had so much um, brokenness and pain and despair inside of my soul at that age. And I had no outlet, no one to like hear that, no sane voices, no support, um, nothing. In fact, like I said that my friends and family were disgusted with my behavior. And I would say those were the people that like really knew and saw the relationship that I was in and saw how much this uh, boyfriend I had at that time, like cared about me. And they were upset. Like, how could you do that? Like, why did you do that? Um, just trying to understand because they also loved me. I think like, I think of my older sister and maybe like my, just a couple of good friends that were, you know, disappointed because they could see that I was hurting someone who really didn't deserve to be hurt, you know, and hurting this um, person that I was dating in high school. And I didn't really understand my actions either, to be honest with you. I like all of this um, understanding about it comes now from, you know, many years of trying to contemplate and understand it and obviously seeing it through the lens of like, I didn't have the Lord at the time. So, you know, my sin nature obviously was in full force, but um, just acting against my own best interest was, became a way of life for me, which was, um, you know, where I was bound for my own ruin very early on. And that was very apparent to me, but there was like no way for me to stop it. It was, it was becoming more compulsive and there was more of a drive in me to like get alcohol, get boys, get, get what I thought I wanted. But those things just left me each time. It was like more traumatized, more empty, more in need of the next escape route. So mm -hmm. yeah, it was just not, not a good pattern to start out with so young for sure. And I think it does a lot of, it comes back to just the hurt and brokenness. Like you said, I think that it sounds like you're, this was really overall just a, a, a cry for help. You didn't understand any other way to, to get that help. And so you, you turn to, to these outlets. And like you said, some of them, uh, some of them wrought some, uh, maybe some, some, feelings of uh, happiness that were very fleeting at first, as, as you would quickly find out there was no fulfillment in any of this. But, uh, I, I, you know, the world promises uh, us a lot of happiness through different outlets that we now understand to be sin. Um, and uh, it's very, it can be very deceptive for someone that doesn't have the, the Holy Spirit in them, um, especially as we start getting into the next part of your story, which which is more of the, the partying phase. And and unfortunately, um, you know, I understand this is also a precursor to one of the biggest, uh, I would say, incidents that I that I had seen in your testimony when you sent it to me, which was uh, you were uh, the victim of a rape incident. 
Yes. So that was on spring break of um, my, I think my senior year. And, um, you know, this was commonplace for us to just get completely wasted. And our parents would kind of like just send us to the clubs. We were 18 at the time. So I think it was legal or, you know, we were 17 and 18. So um, in Cancun, you can do that. And um, yeah, I think in a way, at that time, I put myself in the line of fire. And that's not to say that, that I'm, you know, I wasn't still the victim of a rape, but I definitely um, was so desperate for male attention that I had no filter, no um, discretion when it came to that. It was just like, if, if a man looked at me, I didn't care how old he was or, you know, if he spoke English. And so, you know, I think I was, I have to take responsibility for like sending signals, but I know that what happened um, in the moment, it was almost like, I think I was in like a drunken uh, haze most of the night. And then when that was happening, it was like, I came to, I completely was sober minded for an instant and noticed what was happening. And I was just like, no, no, no. Like it was, um, it was, one of those moments where just it felt like all the lights were on you know what i mean in this bus wow. i don't know if they were but i think i could also see my friends like staring at me like are you okay what is going on and i was like i don't know what's going on you know like something is happening to my body but i don't i i think i disassociated and i think i still am slightly disassociated from the whole event because sure I said it was very like suppressed and repressed from my conscious awareness um, for a long time. And then I, I doubted if it even happened because it's because it becomes such a pushed back part of your memory. So like now when I talk about it, even right now, I don't have any emotional response to it. But when when I sat down with this friend um, who also is a believer and she came to Christ in our, in her early twenties and then she saw me come to Christ last year and we, we got to talk um, last Christmas time. And she said, you know, she brought up that incident and she said, you were raped. And I said, I was like, I thought so, you know? And so I felt like that was almost a gift from God. I know it sounds weird that, you know, remembering something so painful could be a gift, but I think, that until you're validated and like it happened and someone else, you know, the fact that she bore witness to it and still knows that it would be, it would be a thing that could harm me even today because of, because of the impact that that has uh, like the violating of your personhood. And, you know, the fact that she was brave enough to like, just bring it up in conversation, much like you are now to me, that's like, you know, I don't know if we have more boldness as believers to just look that the worst thing that human being can do to another right in the eye and, and, um, you know, kind of walk each other through the healing process. But yeah, it was awful at that time. And one thing that really hurt when I was recording it, and as I have been unpacking these memories is that, you know, my dad was there in Mexico that time. And I just think like trying to start to comprehend my heavenly father as this protector and the lack of protection that I was given um, as a teenage woman. And even as a, a young girl, you know, seeing like the pornography and everything 
um, all the things that, all the ways that my innocence should have been protected by um, my parents. And, you know, I take, I take full responsibility at the same time. You know, like I said, I was, I was curious. I was, I had no, I had lost my moral compass, you know, like I had pretty much thrown that out the window and that was my choice. A lot of those things were my choice, but um, you know, it's, it's made me just have a really great respect for parents that are, that are strict, I guess, you know, like I, mm-hmm. I want to be a mother that is protective because I can, I see how damaging things that we think are not a big deal to let, um, you know, children be exposed to. And then like, not every child when they're exposed to something like that is going to go the route that I did. But the fact that your trajectory is going to be just a little bit off. And then, you know, from that place that you can get so far from who you really are, you know? Right. Right. I think it's a slippery slope. Um, I think that, like you said, there's some kids that react to certain things maybe a little bit better and maybe have a little bit more, uh, restraint, but I think for other, for other kids, it can, uh, you know, one, one minor, uh, thing can lead to all of a sudden, you know, they're, they've gone down the complete wrong path and it can, it can happen very, very quickly. So I, I get where you're coming from. And I think that ultimately, um, it's, it's a place of, of love. And, uh, I think unfortunately many people, especially non-believers have a hard time seeing it that way, uh, that, per, that protective nature that you're talking about, uh, just trying to do the best that you can for, for your kids. Um, and getting back to your story then. So you, you know, at this point you have, you had a really difficult childhood where there wasn't a lot of love shown with your family. You have that, uh, pornography incident, uh, started to, uh, steal things and had a rebellious phase, unfortunate, unfortunately a victim of rape and, it doesn't get any easier with this next critical part of your story because, uh, from what I understand, you end up getting pregnant and uh, have have an abortion, mm-hmm. and uh, it, it and I know that you had written that you thought that the abortion would pretty quickly come with some relief as as it relates to not having to you know uh, care for for the child, but it it didn't happen that way, did it? Not at all. Not at all. I think. I had always been able to escape my my conscience pretty easily with drugs and alcohol before that and after the abortion I just I just could like the experience and the reality of what I had done was so ever present that it was with me all the time there was no um there was no escape hatch you know like marijuana made me paranoid after that. And I just got very depressed. I remember just I for a couple months, just laying in my little sister's bed, and we would like binge watch TV shows. And I just didn't want to go anywhere. I, I didn't really, I don't know, I think I, it, it took life from me, you know, that's what it is doing. It, it was taking, taking something that God had made inside of me. And it, it was like, it took that away from me and out of my life. And I just, um, like you said about back to when I was a teenager and I had nowhere to turn, it was like a cry for help. I think, um, I, I kind of wish when I had gotten pregnant, you know, I had cried out for help or been willing to turn to, cause I know there are resources and I, I knew those two options. I knew that like you could go to clarity where they will, um, try to pray with you. And, you know, I thought they're just going to try to convince me to keep my baby and I'm going to feel more guilty if I go there and hear, them tell me things or whatever. And, 
versus I could go, you know, to Planned Parenthood and just, just, I could just cut this off. I could just end it. And then I won't have to worry because the worry, the worry and the fear was so overpowering of having a child with the man that I had, I was pregnant with at the time. I just couldn't fathom it. I couldn't conceive of it. I was like, this will ruin my life. Um, because this was a person that, uh, I, I was afraid of and, um, I knew was just, I, I didn't want to have that tie to, you know, which is right. it's so interesting. It's like, you're willing to share your body with someone, but you, it, it just shows how little I really valued my body and myself that I would, you know, unite with this person who, uh, was horrible to me and for me. Um, and I'm sure I was horrible for him too. I don't want to say that like, uh, paint myself as like this innocent person, because I know that, you know, I, I'm not, um, naive to the things that I did either, but yeah, it totally crushed me. I think, um, it just, I, there was several points of feeling like I was, you know, my soul was broken. My psyche was broken. And that was definitely one of those times where I just felt, um, a, a different kind of emptiness and depression that, yeah, I hadn't felt before. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting too, because I know that you, as someone who's come to have a relationship with God, uh, relatively, um, like it has been that long. I'm sure that all of this right now, this worldview change has completely shifted every, every like action that you've taken before. Like you said, you didn't necessarily look at your, uh, you didn't really value your body as, as the way that you might right now and like who you're with. But when you're in that, when you're going through that time of your life, when you're not really grounded in any kind of uh, firm foundation of truth and understanding, it's so, it's so, so hard. And I know I've said it before, but it's so hard to see these things for what they are. And uh, whether that's sleeping with someone before you're married or whether that's getting an abortion and, and uh, it's just so hard to. Uh, you're, you're, you're really, you're looking for validation in, in the wrong places. You're trying to find things that make you feel better from a physical standpoint and you're doing everything that you can, uh, really to live, live for you. And again, that's the way that the world sells you. That's, that's what the world sells you is, is the way is the key to success is living for you. And, um, it's just, it is complete night and day, uh, when you develop a relationship with our creator and uh, you take those scales off of your eyes and, and you see these acts for what they are. But I just want to really highlight that again, that it is so hard to see it when you're, when you're going through it. Yeah. It's almost like the, the uh, option to do what is right in God's eyes isn't even presented to you. Like right. you, your heart doesn't present that. And until, unless someone else enters in, you know, to your life and your pain and your moment and, and, and does have a relationship with God and can take you by the hand and guide you. And you have to be willing to take their hand too. Um, it's, it's almost impossible to like make the right choice. I mean, I'm sure people do it just because maybe their own conscience convicts them even like apart from having God, they just know something is wrong. But for me, it was like weighing the weighing the consequences was like what my mind was doing. If I keep the baby, uh, like look at what my life is going to look like. No, 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 no. Like I can't have that. If I end the pregnancy, I will, you know, I'll deal with that. I thought that that would be a lot easier to deal with than the opposite side. So that was, mm -hmm. you're right. I was just weighing what would work best for me really. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and I, I also think too, like when you're talking about conscious, 
and going against that. I think the more that you do that, the more that it becomes hard to tell that. And yeah. there's a, there's a time in your, in, in your life, like right here for you, or we don't even necessarily think about having a conscious. We, it, it's just something that we may, we might go against what our, you know, whatever our, our mind is telling us to do a few times, all of a sudden it's gone. And we, and, and it's so easy to not even notice that that happens. Whereas when you develop a relationship with God, um, it, it, it's that awareness is so key, I think, to your, to your, uh, everyday life. And it's not because necessarily you want to follow all the rules, although that that's, it's, it's obviously good to follow what God tells you to do, but there's a relationship, there's a relational component there that's missing when you're, when you don't have God in your life, there's a relational component that you have with Jesus. And, uh, it just completely changes the way that you view things. You're, you're doing whatever you can from that point onward, when you accept God into your life to, to further that relationship. Obviously, we all, no one's perfect, but um, it's just a complete night and day shift that happens there uh, when you make that when you make that choice. The, and and so this part kind of gets us to where you start looking to some other spiritual options uh, as opposed to kind of your uh, Catholic upbringing. And uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and read another excerpt here from your testimony. You say the devil's hold on me spiritually was slow enticing and honestly quite beautiful to someone who doesn't know what the true beauty of Jesus Christ looks like. So um, can you kind of explain here how you did, how you did start to kind of get into these uh, new age practices like yoga and the metaphysical and uh, also some of these uh, experiences uh, that you had from the substance use, just kind of what, what happens next as it relates to all that. Yeah, definitely. I think as soon as I had my first daughter, um, who is 10 years old now, I, 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 that was the first decision I had made to like, to live. And so once I had decided like, okay, I'm going to try to live now, I'm going to, I have something to live for. Um, that's when I was like, well, maybe I should try to figure out what I think about God, because when you become a parent, like it's, you're going to be teaching the child some things. And I, I realized that I didn't really have like any kind of firm set of beliefs. So I think the first thing I did was go to the library and get some books on Deepak Chopra. And I was like, oh, this is nice. Started journaling. Uh, wasn't really into anything deep at that point. And then I had my second child and um, my drinking, while I wasn't like binge drinking every night, I still had alcoholism in the sense that anytime I, I put alcohol in my body, with like my husband or whatever, we could have been having dinner or a dinner party or something. I would um, never be able to control how much I consumed and I would get, uh, I would get drunk and often like pass out. And so um, made the decision to get sober and was kind of, I don't know, I feel like th that spirituality and awakening and, and um, even like self-help stuff was starting to be really interesting to me. And like, I was starting to like hope for change and I was, I was working out a whole bunch. I felt like, like my lifestyle was turned around. I felt like I was becoming a different person and I wanted, uh, I wanted more of that. Like, it was like, finally I'm feeding myself good things. I'm, you know, eating good and I'm taking care of my kids and I have this normal, normal on the outside life. That's beautiful. So um, I wanted to like enrich that truthfully. I think it was all coming from a good place and, and I wanted to get sober. So I started in Alcoholics Anonymous, which allows you to create your own higher power and have whatever type of vague spirituality you want to have. Um, that was cool to me. 
And I started having spiritual experiences like very soon after and getting into yoga. I did yoga teacher training right around the same time I got sober. This was like in 2014. Um, And so I was just combining everything that I learned from yoga and everything I learned from AA. And I was just like, I thought completely walking in the light and walking as a soon to be healer. And uh, I was very much like a wounded healer. That was like my spiritual identity. So I would just tell people, I would be very um, honest and candid and vulnerable on Facebook about my struggles and talk about how, you know, you can find basically everything you want from the inner radiant light of your own soul and the universe. And all these forces are there to support you as soon as you decide to start to like awaken and turn towards the light, like the light will take 10 steps towards you was how I felt because that's what I experienced. It was like, as soon as I had sort of opened this door spiritually, I felt like there was just, it just rushed in all this stuff. But I do think even then that God was presenting himself as an option to me because I was around, um, you know, some people I think did believe in, in Jesus around me. And I, I, um, you know, some of the AA, um, I guess, like their doctrine is was rooted in Christianity. So it has some Christian language, but it's not um, a Christian program, obviously. So there was just this mix, this like all this stuff that w- was being thrown at me. And uh, what I determined from that was that like we each can create our own um, unique path, you know, with whatever appeals to us the most spiritually. We can we can pick and choose. So I just started, you know, picking and choosing and having some experiences that were uh, really good. I would say like felt really good. I felt really like, like you were saying high, I felt spiritually high in yoga. And um, I felt like the devil was really gifting me with a lot of things to entice me to continue to like look for life and light in relationship with the universe instead of God. I was using capital G God and calling it a he and trying to sort of combine at that time. Like um, you can call it whatever you want. You know, sometimes I'm going to call it God as a he God and other times I'm going to call it the universe or whatever. And I think, I think God saw all of that confusion and truthfully, you know, had the patience and mercy to just wait for me to find him. Um, but I, I obviously had to wade through a lot of, of dark experiences as well. So there was a lot of light and um, feeling like euphoria and awakening and like all the cells of my body were alive and vibrating. But then there were also um, experiences that made the hair on the back of my neck stand up and made my heart palpitate. And I just could feel that there was also some like there was negative stuff and I had to learn. And if you're learning about negative spiritual entities from new age people. You're not going to hear, you know, the truth of what the Bible says about those things. You're just going to hear how to navigate, how to continue to navigate independently through the spiritual world. Um, And just whenever you encounter these negative entities or experiences, like what they mean, you know, like giving them the meaning that um, best suits you in the moment, you know? Right. yeah, it was, there was no clarity. And like you said, there was no groundedness or foundation. It was kind of like floating through air and, you know, doing whatever suited me at the time. Right. And it was it's very hard for people that are uh, it, 
believing in new age ideologies to agree on uh, anything that is going on in the spiritual world. Some people don't even say that there is such a thing as good and evil, but at the same time, there are the spiritual beings uh, that according, again, according to some people, because not everybody agrees with that, that uh, you do need to watch out for and, and, you know, like surround yourself in a white light. Um, uh, but when you're not, it is so hard to tell what is going on in the spiritual world because anything could present itself as anything. It's like, you know, it's a ho- everything is pretty much like a, hol- a shape-shifting hologram. And uh, when when you're doing that and it's you don't have any set firm truth or foundation, it really does just kind of become, you know, wh- whatever it is that your, your experience is and how you perceive that and then kind of comparing it to someone else's. And um, it, there's that was one of my breakthroughs with the new age was that was seeing that a lot of my experience and other people's experiences and what people's spirit guides were telling them as it relates to the uh, truth w- w- just wasn't matching up. And, um, I, but it's, I think, again, I think it's very hard to see that when you're going through that because it is very, it's, it's, it's a very powerful moment when you realize that there's a spiritual realm and you're interacting with a spiritual realm. And one of my, one of the things that I thought was really interesting from your testimony was when you were talking about doing yoga, um, you ended up, uh, and I'll be interested to see how quickly this happened, but ended up kind of feeling like you were being guided in, in your yoga. Isn't that right by the spiritual? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. I would, I mean, my intention was always to turn the class over to the universe and mm-hmm. it was all channeled by the end. Like, I didn't ever have any class preparation. I even felt like my playlists, um, I just kind of, I knew how to like open myself up to their guidance and I sort of like, I let them do it all. And I gave, I gave over like my voice to them and and what movements we're going to do and everything. And a lot of it would come in the moment. So I just thought I was like incredibly gifted. Right. And Mm -hmm. I convinced a lot of other people that I was too, because it was like, she's not even like preparing this or reading it from anywhere. Where is she getting this? Because, you know, this stuff comes out of your mouth. That sounds like wisdom from beyond, you know, it's not, it wasn't, contrived inside of my own brain or heart ahead of time. And and I mean, sometimes I guess I would incorporate like lessons from life into it or share personal experiences, but more often than not, I was channeling without knowing it. I don't think I, I knew, I thought that I had like achieved that yet. That was my goal was to like learn how to channel and be a, a better, a vessel for spirit. That's what I always said. Like I work for spirit. I work with spirit, but, um, I didn't really like think I had, I, I didn't think I had made it yet, if that makes sense. It wasn't until right. after I got out of it that I realized how much of it was completely controlled by something besides me. Yeah. Uh, another thing that you had mentioned, uh, which I appreciate, is that these experiences, these spiritual experiences that you were having weren't all that much different now than some of the substance abuse experiences that you had. And I think, again, that is very, very hard to see when you're going through this. But when you come back, when you uh, are able to take a step back and look back and kind of connect the dots now that you have developed a relationship with, with, with God, you can see that there's a very, there's a difference between the spiritual experience that you have now with that relationship with God and the quotes in the spiritual experiences that you were having in the new age. So can you, can you kind of uh, tell us about that a little bit, just like how those, those experiences did overlap those feelings this for that you got from the spiritual and substance abuse experiences? For sure. I think it's just another way to um, not face what is happening in life, like not face your problems because 
obviously the um, physical effects of alcohol and the physical effects of meditation are going to be different, but the uh, way that they destroy your life um, are, are similar. You know, for me, it was like, okay, I'm switching. I'm no longer hitting the bottle, but I am um, hitting these AA meetings instead of being at dinner with my family. I am, um, you know, practicing meditation in the morning and I don't want anyone to interrupt me. I don't want anyone to even be there. I want to find the quietest place tucked away and I want to be in my own world and I want to just escape reality. I want to transcend my body. I want to or I just want to feel good. So if I am going to be in my body and have to feel what's going on, I want to be able to control how my body feels. And, um, you know, I guess to what, what I think I used to hear was like, you can tune your vibration. You can make it, um, if you wake up and you don't feel good, you can, you know, meditate on something and you'll, it'll tweak it. So in a way, maybe you're not like putting a substance in your body, but you're trying to control your inner uh, reality and, and how you feel with these practices, you know, and there's literally a new age practice for anything that you want to achieve. And that's why it can be so, I mean, there's no, there's no continuity through it. Like you said, like there's no foundation, there's no uh, truth, but there's definitely answers, you know, there, whatever you have a question about, like the new age has an answer for it. So it's kind of just, yeah, just following that and switching, swapping those addictions out. Like, okay, I, and you think you're better because you're not doing this low thing like drugs or alcohol, but instead you're, um, you know, focusing on, it looks like self-improvement, but really it's, it's so hard to like expose it for what it really is because it's, it's like, it's still, even now I'm like, it's hard to put into words why it's evil, but it is like, it's just not, it doesn't honor God. It doesn't glorify God. And it, it takes you, it takes your soul, your heart and your mind far away from him. That's why it's evil. Right. And I, you had started to get into Reiki energy healing as well. And uh, for those of you that don't know what that is, uh, kind of a, kind of a thumbnail sketch of that is, you know, typically somebody will lay on like a, a bed or, or, or like a couch and uh, that's the person who's receiving the court healing and someone else will then put their hands just slightly above the other person's body. And uh, usually then from there, there's like some kind of like heat that will come out of that person's hands and there's a quote, a healing that's done through en- it's like energy healing work. And there's other stuff that goes into it that, that the Reiki practitioner is, it has to do in order to create the court healing. But um, you were, from what I understand, you were starting to have some, again, quote, success with that. Uh, But I I think it, again, it comes back to the idea that this stuff, what it's really, what it really is uh, rooted in, which is it's, it's not rooted in good. It's not rooted in, in, in truth. And I can give you a perfect example of that and what you're describing. And um, not to make this about me, but I do think it's it's important that people kind of, kind of understand because that was the straw that broke the camel's back for me as it relates to the new age. I would get uh, Reiki energy healing done, and it was very similar like to what you're describing. It was like I I felt high. I felt like this this spiritual emotional high, almost like you might get if you had a really good meditation session, or even 
I don't know if you, I, I don't know if you can really compare it to any like specific substance, uh, but it did, it felt like that. It felt like something, uh, just like a, a, a drug like euphoric high. Mm-hmm. I would get that. It wouldn't last long. And then of course, then I would have to go back and get, get another healing. And uh, that's, that's the first problem, unfortunately, is that it never lasts. There's never any true change that's going on. You always, you're reliant on the, on the quote healer. And even when I was getting these incredible spiritual high moments, nothing about my heart changed, nothing about my world view changed, nothing about my, my, the true soul, my true inner, inner workings of who I was changed. I would get these Reiki healings done and I would still go and sleep around. I would still go home. I would watch porn. I nothing, nothing changed for me in my understanding of what good, what truth was and how to treat people and, and how to value them and see them the way that I understand now that God sees them. I still, I still, for example, that was one of my biggest things that I struggled with and, and still struggle with, but not as much since giving my life over to Christ is lust. I still viewed women as, as objects when I was getting Reiki energy healing. And so I just want to say that because I think it really highlights the the what you're saying here as it relates to these practices. I, they're they're obviously done in good faith. They're done. Uh, they're, people are trying to help other people, but there's no real shift going on in, in in the person's makeup. And unfortunately, it's 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 really like a band aid. And uh, again, it's very hard to see that when you're going through it. But I just wanted to say that because I think it's just important for people to to kind of understand that uh, what 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 is truly going on here as it relates to these spiritual healing modalities. Absolutely. I am so uh, in alignment with all of that because what I found was like, I felt like I was just a hypocrite because I would, I would teach this stuff and I would initiate people into it. And then I saw the fruit of my own life and how, I mean, I wouldn't have used the words fruit or like depraved at the time, but I just saw that I had no self-control. You know, I was still going binging on mass amounts of sugar right after initiating people into Reiki. And I'm like, oh, I'm so spiritual. I've, you know, transcended. I'm, you know, doing all this light work. But the truth was like, you know, I I spent a lot of time in fear and isolation, um, binging my brains out on food and, um, you know, still trying to figure it out. You know, you act like as a Reiki healer, when you're holding space, it's almost like you get this power for that time. And it does always show up, you know, the, the demons love to work through like the sorcery of Reiki. But as soon as that moment's over, like you said, as soon as that high is over, like reality is right there and nothing has changed. And you're like, maybe I just need, I need a breakthrough. Like I, maybe I need to, you know, do some uh, plant medicine or I need to seek a healer who is like a higher tier. You know what I mean? And so I'm just grateful that I didn't initiate more people into it. And I'm sad that I did get to that point of doing that. But I think God, you know, he put the stopper out, like you will go no further, you know? Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Um, So eventually you have a really incredible and frightening experience at the, at the yoga studio. And mm-hmm. I'd like to, I'd, I'd love for you to share that. And from what I understand from that, that kind of is what gets you a little bit more into the um, mystical, like Christ consciousness type of uh, uh, thinking. Isn't that right? Yeah. Yeah. So that morning I, uh, my regular practice was to wake up very early and pray and have my coffee before I went to the yoga studio at four thirty, And I was doing that, but I felt, um, 
just uh, some kind of like heaviness. My prayers didn't feel like they were leaving me. I felt like I couldn't talk. I couldn't pray almost. And I was like, hmm, that's strange, you know? So I just went about my morning and was driving to the yoga studio and still had that same sense that like something just wasn't right. And so I was like, I'm going to try to take my mind off of it and put a CD in and driving along the CDs in. And then all of a sudden it just pops out on its own. And I was like, that's really scary. You know, my heart started beating faster. And then when I got up to the yoga studio and walked in, it was just like, it felt like, an inferno in there because someone had left the heat on. Um, there were random lights on and doors open and it felt like a, a like a spiritual and energy had been like running wild in there, you know, like kind wow. of like I'm not alone in here and whatever's in here with me is not good. And so, uh, you know, as human beings, we don't really have any defense against that except for Jesus Christ. And I didn't know that at the time I didn't, I had never, um, had an experience like that up until that point. So I called my sponsor who, you know, I don't know if she's a believer, but I know that she prayed Jesus Christ, um, as part of her program. I think she's Catholic. So I, I, you know, it's hard for me to determine. I have no idea what her status is, but I know she prayed to Jesus and she encouraged me to pray and get on my knees. And, and just that action, I think I knew like, and God knew my heart that I was calling out to him. I wasn't, um, calling out to the universe to save me. I was like calling out to God because I was so scared. And I think um, he responded, I think, I mean, honestly, like with how spiritually um, blinded I was at the time, I don't know for certain that it was Jesus Christ. I believe that it was. I believe that it, it, he was showing me who he was, but I just got, I, I, I didn't have anything to tether that to. Plus I wasn't ready because when I felt, I surrendered, you know, I got on my knees and I cried out. I'm like, I'm so scared. And I felt Jesus. I just felt like his love and his presence and his reassurance um, fill my heart. And I was like, Oh wow. Like that is, that's tremendous. What is that? That's what I want. That's uh, in him. There was no fear. There was like, it was just, um, it was not like any of the other spiritual experiences I had had. So I was just like, huh. Jesus. Okay. Like, how do I make sense of all of this? And so, you know, I went to the library and I looked in the Christian section and I found the third Jesus by Deepak Chopra, which is like Deepak Chopra's version of what Christ's life was like that wasn't in the Bible. So he just writes it like, it's like a work of fiction, but it's supposed, it's meant to make you think like, okay, this could have been what actually happened. Oh, he went to live in India with all these yogic gurus, blah, 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 blah. So yeah, it's a bunch of garbage, but at the time, I I didn't want like to be pulled out of my yoga world. I wanted to meld those two worlds. So, yeah, I started seeking. I started going to church. I started trying to do Bible studies, but I just had so many questions about the spiritual and about the things that I had that had happened to me. And I really felt like um, I knew these people wouldn't understand. And and I could tell that because I would sometimes like test them with certain questions, and they they would. I felt very like shut down and cut off. Um, so I was like, okay, well that, you know, that didn't work. That didn't give me the answer I was looking for. So, but I think, you know, I also feel like at that time there was sort of, um, like, I don't want to say a war going on for my soul, but 
you know, I had been presented with God and I had been presented with all these other spiritual truths and I wanted them to come together. So like, I remember doing this workshop called find your Dharma. And I presented like the life of Jesus being tempted in the desert. And then the life of Buddha, how supposedly Mara tempted him when he was under the tree and enlightened and how it was really like all the same story and how it applied to us and how the truth was that we were all supposed to find our purpose. And um, when we lived our purpose, then all the spiritual forces in the world would come and help us and guide us once we like aligned with our purpose. And that was like, that was what I came up with, honestly, that made the most sense to me and that I wanted to believe. So that's how I wove my Jesus experience into the path that I was already walking. But I started to use him. And this is, to be honest, I was using him, not not serving him, but using him as my protection and almost like um, I just I thought that I could pretty much do anything spiritually because I knew who Jesus was. And I remembered that, like, when I got in trouble, he he rescued me or he like came to me with love that one time. So I figured going forward, I could pretty much do whatever I wanted spiritually because he would um, he was available to me, too, as like if I needed to bring him on board as like a big brother or something or, or best friend, spirit, spirit guide that is pure light. He would be there when I had to deal with anything else spiritually. So, yeah, it was definitely yeah. a relationship of like, let me use you, Jesus, to suit my purposes, not not in right place under him, you know? Yeah. And you're certainly not alone. There's many people out there that as they're engaging in these spiritual practices that call on Jesus for protection when they're doing these things. Again, not be, being none the wiser, not understanding that we're not supposed to engage, as it says in the Bible, in these types of spiritual practices for our own benefit. It's very similar. And I know that some people, it, again, it's very hard to see this when you're going through it, but it really is no different than like trying to get across the freeway and you're praying to God to protect you. But it's like you, there's a very good chance you could get killed because that's, you, you could get hit by a car and, and it's just not, you're not supposed to do that. That's just not how it works. And, um, uh, I, I understand as well that, um, eventually this uh, going into, uh, uh, this, kind of delving a little bit more into it, trying to understand who Christ is and, and Jesus is kind of overlaps as well with your getting into like DMT and ayahuasca. And from here you start having even more radical spiritual experiences, but on the, so you have on one hand, more radical spiritual experiences. You're having this maybe for the first time, kind of giving a little bit more uh, to, of your time to trying to figure out who this Jesus is. But on the other hand, from what uh, I remember in your testimony, and actually I'll go ahead and read something from it here that that relates is that you are still really struggling in, in having maybe more manic episodes than you had ever had. Mm -hmm. um, you say, uh, I, I went back to the same shaman and did ayahuasca again. I remember going for a walk by myself and ending up in a graveyard and imagining my gravestone as I wandered through the cemetery. I was visualizing the beautiful flowers and actually assuming it would be coming soon. And it would be a beautiful transition. I was ready for death because at that time, I thought it was just a transition to a place of unconditional love. I had so much pain and it was honestly my greatest dream, which is so sad. So um, kind of tying back into what I was saying, is it safe to say that these uh, spiritual experiences, these increased spiritual uh, encounters were giving you uh, more of an understanding that there definitely is a spiritual world, but it was... Uh, uh, really taking you away from true peace, perhaps more than ever before? 
Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that the, you know, the, the plant medicine and the psychedelics, they focus a lot on death on either, whether it's going to be an ego death or making peace with death or like death holds all the secrets to the other side. And there's this fascination obsession. Um, just it, it's what you focus on. You don't focus on your life. You focus on death. And um, yeah, at that time when I was in California doing ayahuasca, that was like a, a little over a year ago. Um, wow. I, I was just, I don't know. I, I was desperate for um, like some sort of like <laughs> purpose, I guess. I, I think I wanted to be a shaman. I think I saw um, these women and I idolized them um, because they had such power, uh, such power. And I, I felt like they were for me. I honestly did. I, I thought that they were trying to help me be liberated, healed. Um, they were, they were loving me. I really thought they saw me in a very like real and intimate way that other people couldn't understand. Like I thought they were my soul family. Um, and so, yeah, I think I was initiated into the plant medicine realm with DMT, even though I, I'm not sure it's from a plant, but that was like how that was my first experience. And then subsequent experiences with things like mushrooms and ayahuasca and the ayahuasca is just I mean, it's, it's the vine of death. When you think about Jesus, he's the, the vine of life. You know, when we abide in him, we abide in life to the fullest. But when we abide in ayahuasca, like we are we're looking at death square in the eye and we're trying to show how I think how strong we are, how um, brave we are to be able to encounter that. But, you know, I ayahuasca also, I don't know what kind of demon she is, like how much power she actually has, but it definitely feels like the type of reverence and almost like you're sworn to secrecy type of thing over those ceremonies that you, <laughs> And she has a power in your life outside of the ceremony too, because they say ayahuasca comes and calls you to ayahuasca before you you take her. And then even afterward, her spirit is always with you. So yeah, that's been something that oh, has been um, those experiences. For some reason, I'm sure you know this if you've had psychedelic experiences, but that they, they stay in your consciousness like a memory that isn't the same as the rest of your memories. Like um, your mind can flash you back to like the feeling and the experience better than maybe like anything else that happens in your life because you're, you're, you're so potently aware of what's going on because, you know, the veil is gone. You're like completely interacting with the spirit realm at that time. And, um, you know, it's funny because that last ceremony, I think, God knew I was going to come to him soon because the, the woman saying amazing grace a couple times through at the very end of our ceremony. Um, I kept getting that mercy was going to be the next chapter of my life. Like that's what I wrote in my journal, like mercy. What, what does that even, I don't know what that is, but you know, that was what was coming to me. And um, yeah, there was this song that was playing about like, favored son, your sins are forgotten. And I think that the devil honestly promises everything that Christ can actually deliver us to. So a lot of what I was hearing in there was like what my soul really, really was wanting was like my sins to be forgiven for mercy, um, for God's amazing grace. But like, it was like the devil was using all of those messages to just, um, 
convinced me that I had that already. Right. Um, even though God is the only one that can give that. So yeah. It's just right. Yeah. Right. Yep. There's the, the, there's that huge contrast. It's, uh, you know, in the alternate spiritual world or the new age world, it's within yourself. And, uh, the truth shows us that we need to rely on our creator in order to find that peace and that relationship. <clears throat> Excuse me. And thankfully, uh, you know, at this point it does, you're delving into these alternate spiritualities doesn't go on for very much longer from a chronological perspective. Um, I think at this point we, you, you, you're close to, if not right about there, running into your friend and uh, having a dramatic change in your understanding of spirituality. So can you kind of take us through how that experience went? Yeah. So after I got back from the ayahuasca trip, I went and bought that uh, extremely expensive crystal singing bowl and I bought a pentacle necklace. And um, Satanists use the pentagram or pentacle for their magic rituals. And it's, you know, it's a it's a well-known symbol of following Satan, but that's not what it meant to me. I didn't believe in Satan. I just thought like, I'm becoming this very powerful witch. And not that I would have necessarily wanted to use that word, but I just thought like, this is the beginning of my partnership with the elements. And I need to, I'm not ashamed to, show the world that. So I was wearing that necklace and um, it was around Halloween time of last year. And I, I just bumped into a friend. She was getting water at the health food store as was I, and she had her daughter in her cart and we had seen each other a couple of times in the last couple of years. And um, so it wasn't the first time that I was aware of the fact that she was walking with Jesus and she had actually tried to warn me another time a couple of years prior when I saw her at the park about psychedelics because I was just starting to get into them and I was telling her about, you know, everything I was finding. And she was kind of looking at me like, cause I think she had had some experience in it, but she kind of kept her mouth closed at that time. And then, so when we saw each other in the grocery store this past year in October, she saw my necklace and she just asked me like, I thought you loved Jesus. Why are you wearing a pentacle or whatever they're called? And I just said, I do, you know, he's part of my spiritual tapestry or my group of guides, but I also, this represents the elements, you know, I tried to be real smooth and like defend myself. And she just said, you know, I'm really concerned about deliverance for your soul. And I was like, you know, what? Like, I wasn't expecting that. I had no defense against that other than, you know, I tried to explain to her like what my, my spiritual beliefs were, which, you know, they were always subject to change. So whatever I could come up with at that moment. And she was so uh, different, like something about her was just so different that she was so steady and just looking at me like almost like a caring parent. And I didn't have anyone to call me out, um, especially spiritually, you know, everyone I surrounded myself with believed exactly or, or just believed I could do what I wanted, you know, and it was like, she was calling me um, to accountability with God in a really loving way. Um, she didn't have to say much, honestly, it was just, she showed me love, mm -hmm. but at the same time, um, presented the truth. And I think she did say something to the effect of like, she understood the heavenly realms, like, because I didn't think any Christians got it. And I tried to explain to her, like, oh, you don't understand. Like, I've seen spiritual things. I know things. And she was like, yeah, that's the heavenlies. And Lucifer can appear as an angel of light. And I was just like, 
I don't know. It shook my paradigm a little bit. Like it was like an earthquake. <laughs> and right. so, yeah. After that, I uh, went to all my new age friends and I was like, can you believe what this Christian person said? She thinks we're demons that are crawling out of the earth. And they were all like, yeah, that's how they all are, you know, closed minded, blah, blah, blah. But I just, it couldn't, I couldn't get it, shake it free from my mind after that. And, and um, that was just the beginning of the Holy Spirit drawing me and convicting me. So praise God for her boldness, you know? Yeah. And it, it, there's another quote that I really love that you included um, that kind of echoes on that idea of, of there was something different here. And you say, uh, I contacted a believer whom I had watched teach the Bible on Facebook and she prayed with me and talked to me a couple of times that week. She went to the throne of God on my behalf. And I'm so grateful for that. Her family had COVID too. Uh, because I, I, you know, at this point, I think you, you had COVID and that was a, a, a big thing as well for you and your story. Uh, but anyway, so her family had COVID too, but she was unmoved. She was anchored in something real. And I love that because it reminds me of what Apostle Paul says, which is that I, I, I don't remember exactly where he says it, but he says, uh, I can find contentment in all circumstances. And that is so different than what we're taught and these other types of spiritualities where we're always trying to manipulate our environment or manipulate our our emotions or our our uh uh just us in order to 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 find happiness mm-hmm. and there there was a confidence here and a trust in something greater than uh than herself and you took note of that and i think that is so incredible i think it's a lesson that we can all take away from this as as uh followers of christ that we can show other people um because i know i was talking to Amanda before we started recording this. And I think that that is where we can really do the most, the most damage to uh, the enemy's kingdom is to, is, is to be that not, none of us are Jesus. None of us are God, but to be that version, like the best version we can be of, of showing those traits of Jesus for the non-believers in our life. And it sounds like that's exactly what happened here in this situation. And that was a huge uh, moment to help you take the scales off your eyes and see the truth. Absolutely. She, I had watched a couple of her teaching videos in the the months prior and something inside of me hated it. I was like, why am I watching this? Like, oh, I don't want to watch this. But she had um, a joyful heart when she was teaching and she was so different than, you know, the new age stuff that I had been hearing that I just gave it a try. And then she was the person that, you know, God directed me to when it was time to pray. I knew that like thing, I was starting to question things. I knew I needed some um, voices of reason who knew the word and could kind of, I mean, I don't know if I would have said it that way at that time, but this was just like two or three days before I got saved. And um, when she prayed with me, I felt like, you know how I, I said, um, in my earlier in my stories that my, that my prayers were always hindered, that, that, that like didn't go up all the way, you know, because, well, for one thing, Jesus says, no one comes to the father except through me. So she was coming to the father through Jesus Christ and she was praying with me. So it was like, she pulled me into that experience of what it is to um, be able to prayerfully commune with the father. And uh, that to me was so, first of all, loving because, you know, she's, she has, um, children of her own as well as several adopted children and there were uh, uh, multiple kids in her household and herself that had COVID but she was taking this time to pray with me on the phone um, and wanted to 
um, it was not a burden to her. It was like, she, I don't know. I, I just couldn't understand that. Cause like life had been so selfish up until that point. So once she opened that way for me and I saw what it was like to pray to the father, it was like, I just knew, I knew that I had to like make myself right with God. And so, you know, I turned to the Bible to figure out how to do that. I, well, first I just wrote down my prayers, you know, God, I'm, I want you, how do I find you? Um, and I think that's how it started that week was like, God, I want you, how do I find you? But then like that prayer became more desperate. The more I realized I didn't have him, you know, he was showing me the truth of my spiritual condition and, um, you know, eventually it like my heart, the part of me that wanted him grew, grew more and more desperate. And I was willing to, to give him my life, you know, by the, by the end of that seeking, which was like five days long. (laughs) So. And at, when you finally found the truth, then the truth that you've been looking for, for all these years and through multiple spiritualities, multiple, you know, so much trial and error, so much pain, uh, so much, so many different instances of highs and lows and so many relationships and uh, just so many different things that you had to endure. How was it then when you finally found the truth? I mean, it had to have been incredibly relieving, but on the other hand, I, I just from my own experiences and other people, my own experience and other people's experiences that I've talked to, it's, it's very challenging as well, obviously when your whole worldview is turned upside down. So how was that for you then finally finding the truth? Yeah. Is there really words for it? Like you said, it was, it was uh, relieving in the sense that, you know, you don't realize how heavy the burdens of your sins are until the Holy Spirit begins to convict you. And then that weight is over you. I described it like a hard crustiness, like over my heart. Um, And I just wanted God to break that. I wanted him to break my heart and, you know, flow into me. And so, uh, there's nothing like being humbled and broken under the cross of Christ. Um, there's just nothing like it. You know, all those spiritual experiences, all those relationships, all those highs and lows, everything that the world had to offer and that Satan had to offer. Um, it doesn't even, it can't bat an eye at what the Lord gives us when we surrender to him fully. And he just shows up and and becomes you know, our, our savior and our shepherd and gives us his spirit to live within us. Like it just fulfills all of those deep needs and questions in a way that like, it's hard as a human being to comprehend or explain, but, um, you know, and it increases our desire for him and for godly things, but in a sense, he's already completed and done all the work. So there's this like satisfaction, this rest, this ease, but then there's also this like desire and hunger to know more of him and to get more of him. But it's like, it's a healthy desire. It's finally like putting all of that seeking and desperation in its right place, like being desperate for God and knowing that he's right there is so different, you know, than being desperate for God and being millions of miles away from him, you know? Um, so it's, but like you said, it came with its challenges. I mean, I, I tend to be like an idealist and paint a very pretty picture because this is what, you know, this is what, where my heart is today is just gratitude, but it was hard. It was, um, you know, just breaking, breaking up with my life. That's what happened. Like I broke up with everything 
that I had been, um, I guess, joined with, yoked to, bonded with beforehand because I was a new person. And um, if people wanted to be in my life as a new person I was, they were welcome to, but I wasn't going to compromise um, who, who the Lord is to me for other people anymore. So yeah, I think that was painful for others. And obviously the people closest to me, it's been the most impactful. And I, I wanted it to be impactful in that like everyone would realize the truth because I realized the truth, especially like my closest loved ones, you know, like guys, you have no idea. Cause I'm the type of person that's always shouted from a mountaintop whenever I think I find something good. And all those times before I was wrong. So having to admit that, um, and point everyone to Jesus was a humbling, but just, I feel like it's like his grace that sustains us in those times because it doesn't, doesn't feel hard. It feels like joyful work that I get to do for God now, you know, that I get to make use of the, the rubbish and the rubble from the past. And he, he redeems it like something from a, you know, thrift store that was forgotten and broken and tossed in the trash. And he just like picks up lives and says, no, I'm going to make these beautiful and useful for my kingdom. And all you got to do is trust me. Like you're in my hand now. And so I already see how he's done that so faithfully that I, I mean, I, there's no reservations, no doubt whatsoever that I'm on the right path with him. And I think that makes the hard times, um, makes us be able to like persevere through them. Plus the word of God has, has everything we need in it for how to live life faithfully to him. So he's given us everything we need. His Holy Spirit, the word, you know, other believers. It's, it's a good path. It's the right path. It's the best path. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really appreciate what you said when it comes to sharing the truth. And I think that God does protect us through, through uh, um, those difficult times when maybe we're being condemned. And um, because I, I really think it's, it is quite a bit different there when you're, when you're, when you're sharing the truth and you know, from the bottom of your heart that you're sharing the truth and all you're doing is, is uh, presenting Jesus to the world and, and people can take it or leave it. Um, I think it's, it's, it's really it's really special. I think that God really admires that in us that when, when we take that step and uh, he loves us for it. And like you said, he has us in, in his hands and um, it, there's just something there. I think that he doesn't, he, he is there to protect us. I think because people can say some very, very harsh things and uh, you, you, you understand that because, because you're so new out of this, the new age that you were there, I'm sure, because this is where I've been, you were there just not too long ago. And so I think there's a part of you that kind of understands where they're coming from. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you just do what you can and understand that, uh, just like people did for you, you you'll plant the seeds, uh, and hopefully kind of like it says in the Bible, someone else will kind of take those seeds and take the next step there. We can't do it all. We can't hit a grand slam every time when we're when we're talking to people. And that's really hard to remember too, especially when you have love for somebody, whether that's a family member or, or so, social support or whoever that is. And that's where it can be really hard is when we let those emotions get in the way. But again, coming back to that relational aspect with God, that relationship and, and taking that step back and having the faith and that he's going to, he's going to work things out at the exact right time and not just use you, but other experiences down the road for this person and, and trusting God and letting that process play out in exactly the right timing. Um, I think is, uh, just truly remarkable. And it's really, really cool to hear that you've been able to do that and take some of those steps already uh, just here over the last few months. Uh, I think that's, that's, that's absolutely awesome to hear. Yeah. I think when he gives you a burden for people, um, you're supposed to act on it. And sometimes the answer yeah. is prayer. It's like, just right. 
he hears our prayers. And when we pour out our heart and we're absolutely broken that someone is lost and we care about their soul so much, um, I think that that, <laughs> that I don't want to say moves God faster because he already has his plan, but um, he loves us and he asks us to call on him and call out to him. So I think when, when those things, it feels like we've done all we can, or we've tried to hit the grand slam like 10 times or whatever. Um, then if the burden still is in our heart for that person, it's like, we just turn to the father. We say, I don't right. have any more ideas of how you're going to save this person right. or I might not be the part the vehicle that you're going to use or the instrument, but God, please save them still, you know? And, and right. those prayers to me are, I think they're for me too. I think that when I'm really um, in that place of just complete crying out on another's behalf, I think like, that's our Lord. That's not me. You know what I mean? That's, that's mm -hmm. Jesus in me um, and how much he cares for the loss. So I think like when you get those condemning arrows fired at you, you have to remember that it's not the human beings that are the enemy. Like, you know, God sent Jesus so that none should perish. Right. And he wanted to save the world, not condemn it. So I know the enemy that's behind the person that's maybe using the person as a mouthpiece or controlling the person and even the timing of the blow sometimes and the personal attacks. Um, at first I can get really offended and hurt, but then I remember like, Oh, that's, that's not even from that person. Like it's not even personal. It's that, that the enemy is attacking Jesus through me. And right. so I, I stand firm. You know, I put on the armor of God. I remind myself who I am in Christ. I speak his word out loud and um, the enemy flees, you know? So I know, I know that when I let my guard down or maybe I don't feel like I have the armor on, like sometimes I'll like take a nap and I'll wake up to this horrible message on my phone from someone or like a, a, a comment and it will literally like like an arrow into my heart of flesh. And I'm like, oh man, I don't have the armor on right now. And like, as soon as I go to the father in prayer and, you know, just remind myself of what the word says, it's like the enemy, he can't, he doesn't prevail in that, you know, but maybe God also allows it because he wants us to learn as his children, how we are to spiritually walk, you know, as I don't know if I, I would consider us like warriors for his kingdom, but we are, we're members and we're children and we're also like his servants. You know, if we are called to do something for him, other people might not always understand that particular calling, but if we're faithful, like he blesses us. There's so many verses about, you know, being blessed when we're persecuted for Jesus's name. And, um, that's that makes it worthwhile because who I don't know what that blessing is and that's not why I'm doing it. I'm not like I'm going to go out and try to get persecuted as much as possible so that God will bless me. Right. It's, it's just if he lays something on my heart or um, there's something that he wants me to say that he knows in that moment. Um, I'm the only one who's been given the voice to say it and the platform that I have to reach the certain people that are, you know, still maybe in the new age because I have like. 2000 friends. And I would say most of them are probably from my former life, you know, like whether that's when I was very young, all the way up until all the things I practiced and they saw how I unashamedly, unabashedly was a platform for, I feel like the kingdom of darkness for all the new age stuff. So when that turnaround happened, it was like, okay, you know, God, let this be for your glory, you know, let them see the the change that you've done in me and let, let them see that every day. I don't care, you know, <laughs> like, um, 
because there's no shame for those and no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, you know? So it's, he gives us the boldness. It's not from me for sure. Wow. I've been reading uh, different quotes from your testimony uh, throughout the conversation that we've had. So I think it's only fitting that uh, we end with a great quote that you have here that you had at the end of your testimony. And you said, I am also grateful that he chose to draw me, expose the evil I was unknowingly serving and bring an end to a path that would have surely gotten darker and led to worse things. I know he works all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. My work now is faith and trust in my trials and areas of struggle. I still have a stronghold with food, trouble with finances, and I still often feel like a failure and sometimes hear that tormenting spirit of shame. But now when I feel weak, I can ask Jesus to fight my battles by speaking God's word. Jesus resisted Satan in the desert with God's word, and it has the mighty power to create the world we exist in and everything in it. Since God sent Jesus to save the world and Jesus came to set the captives free, it's fair to say that he wants us to overcome strongholds and persevere through suffering. And I love this quote because it kind of echoes what I was talking about before, which is that it shows a true heart change. Which, and uh, in your new age years, you did everything you could, every everyone does, to, to, you, to escape the suffering. Whereas now, um, there's been a spiritual shift. There's been a huge spiritual shift, whereas you, you now understand that it's through those difficult moments, through the suffering, that you gain the most that you can then use to help other people and then and then through that glorify God. So I I, I want to end with this because I want to ask you how that process has been for you because you are still uh, so fresh in your relationship with Jesus. How has it been? And what do you tell other people that are going through this a similar experience as you, maybe somebody who just within the last few months re recently found the truth and just gave their life to God? Yeah. Well, first, praise God for giving your life to Jesus. That's the best decision, most important step you can ever make. And then, you know, to know that he is faithful to guide us, to guide our steps and direct our paths after that um, out of whatever it is that ails us or hurts us or harms us. So I know it's different for everyone. I can only really speak to my situation on this, but um, I know that at times we focus our focus is just in the wrong place. Like when we lift our eyes to the beauty of his face and, and stop looking backwards or stop looking down at, you know, whatever um, suffering is in front of us and we just look to Jesus. So for me, that's, that can be worship. Um, just like singing to him, praying to him, um, being with other believers who, you know, just want to, to have him, his presence enter them and be with them and commune with him. Um, that's super important. Um, as far as like dealing with those challenges, you know, it's, it's just little steps. It's like really he, God doesn't ask us to change everything in an instant. He's with us through, through, um, you know, like, like little toddlers, as we learn to take our first steps and fall down. Like, I really believe that he's the loving father that's cheering for us and thinks that, like you said, thinks that, that we're, pretty awesome. He admires that we're taking steps and he does not see the the failures as much as we do. He's just kind of calling us forward to um, walk in the light and walk with him. And it's like, we're going to sin, you know, we're going to go wayward at times, but like the same message of the gospel to repent and believe is what we need as a like reoccurring, um, I guess, something that we want to just remind ourselves every day we want to remind ourselves that we're saved by the 
blood of Christ. And we have, it's, it's not us who live, but Christ who lives in us. And if we're not reflecting Christ in our actions, we're, we're going to be refined. He who has begun a good work in us will bring it to completion. I think that's in one of the epistles from Paul, but that he's the author and perfecter of our faith. And, um, you know, we do our best to throw off sin and the things that entangle us and um, to press on to the mark, just as, you know, our early church fathers did and, you know, in Acts and in all those books that are so encouraging. And when we are down, we, we as the body of Christ are are there to encourage one another and pray for one another because um, you don't have to be positive all the time when you're a Christian. You're allowed to be depressed. You're allowed to be worried. But um, we have an answer. We have a solution before there's even a problem. And I think, you know, the lifelong problem that I've struggled with with food and body image, he's already healed so many aspects of that, of um, the shame and the way I see myself and how I value my body and how I'm, I am with men. And the behavior things are coming last, right? Like all the, the changes and the modifications that need to happen, um, you know, behavior wise are happening, but he does the heart change for me, or at least he focused there first. So sometimes I want to correct everything that I'm doing that I think is wrong. And he wants to change my heart, which is like a slower, but more beautiful process of like weeding out, you know, those roots and beliefs that don't align with his word. And that takes time that takes sanctification. And it takes just like, knowing when we have those strongholds, because a stronghold is like something that's been built in our being, um, you know, all of our lives. So it doesn't, I mean, he can make the Jericho walls just crumble, right? But if it's still there and it's not going away, then he wants that reliance, dependence, and um, probably like just to renew the mind with the word. That's what's been big for me. And and when, when all else fails, just praying about it, because he's brought me some people and solutions and things that I wouldn't have been able to find on my own. But I know later I'll look at my journal and I'll realize, oh, I was praying about that and asking him to help me with it. And then, you know, a month later, I'll see how he brought me all the solutions, but not even recognize the answered prayers when they come. So he's just faithful. Like he will bring anyone through any challenge. He is he is, you know, the God that created us. So he knows exactly what we need to heal too. Well, beautifully said, beautifully said. And I really appreciate that you journal uh, throughout your, what you're doing with God, because I think it can be very, very challenging to take that time to look back and see what God has done for us. I think, I think uh, it can be, I think that's one of the, one of the tactics that the enemy is so good at is getting us so caught up in our everyday life that we don't even we don't take that time to take a step back and see where God is working. So what a, what a really cool and powerful way to, to be able to visually see uh, uh, the way that God is working in your life on a daily basis. That's, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I have my journal in front of me from the day I got saved and all the scriptures wow. that I was just writing down. I was just furiously writing down scriptures that he was giving me. And I didn't have a Bible yet. I was just like looking these all up online, but to, to see what was happening exactly like the week as I was coming to know him and stuff. I just, I value that. I don't know if it's ever going to be useful for anyone else or if it's just for me, but um, to see how he's, you know, been drawing me. And then since I've been with him, how he's walked me through the challenges and to see the changes that he's made in me. Um, it makes us, it makes it easier to like look forward to the future, you know, to know that like where he's taking me is a, is a better place than I've ever been. So Yes. 
Yes, this is this is all very temporary um, on this, both in our in our journey with God as we go from glory to glory, and also just our our journey here on earth. This is not our permanent home, but um, I think in the process, kind of bringing it back to that last question, we can still find find joy maybe in some of the experiences that we don't appreciate as much because we know that eventually it'll be used to bring more glory to our creator. And uh, I think even for us, you know, obviously help us become more refined and strong in our spirit, which I think brings more fulfillment and peace as well. So um, I, I just really want to say thank you so much, Amanda, for, for joining us and sharing your story. Um, I've really, really enjoyed it. And uh, I also appreciate she has been kind enough to offer her email uh, and I have it here on the screen for anyone uh, that is watching. Um, and I'll go ahead and include it in the description as well of the, of the podcast. So if you're listening to it, just Amanda Hummer, 1986 at gmail.com. And uh, you can also find her on Facebook. Just type in Amanda Hummer uh, should pop up there. And uh, just, just really nice of her to be willing to answer any questions or, or speak to anybody that, that would like to uh, has, has anything to for Amanda. So, Really, really appreciate that. Yeah. Thank you so much for this opportunity. I've been, you know, wanting to share my testimony and I feel like your ministry is so awesome. I've loved the interview so far. So I feel very blessed that, you know, God has connected us. So, yeah. 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 Well, thank you so much. All glory to God. I really appreciate you as well. And uh, thank you again for joining us. Yeah. Thank you. That's the show for this week, everybody. Thank you for tuning in and thank you for, uh, putting up with the inconsistent release schedule here over the last couple of weeks. I apologize. It's just been pretty hectic here. I appreciate all your prayers and uh, your encouragement after the loss of my job. Um, I am pretty sure that I found an, another position. And uh, from how it sounds, it, it's a lot more promising than my last position. And just a testament to the way that God can turn what the enemy meant for harm for good and, and how he provides for us. So thank you so much for, for your prayers your, and your encouragement and your messages. Uh, it's helped me a ton. And uh, as always, I am praying for you as well. Uh, going forward, it should be back to the consistent release schedule. Uh, and just a reminder to please send in your testimony to me at the uh, email listed below. We'd love to feature your testimony on the show, either in video format and there is an audio-only version available. And um, I look forward to seeing you all next week. And I will be praying for you. And take care, everybody. Have a great week. Bye-bye.